You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. This is your host, Tim Link, and I'm so glad you're joining us today. We have the honor, very excited about this, honor of the number one New York Times bestselling author in his latest book, The Seventh Plague, James Rollins. James is going to come on the show and chat with us about The Seventh Plague, the a Sigma Force novel, of course. So I want to know all ins and outs of the book and what's going on with that and, and what the new twists are, plot twists and everything. We won't give all the good details, but we'll just put a little teaser out there. Uh, then, of course, we'll talk to him about his writing and writing styles as well, because I know he's definitely got some uh, structure in his life. I'm assuming he's not like the rest of us who just put together something in the last minute. So we'll find out for sure. So everybody just hang tight. and We'll come back with James Rollins uh, just after this commercial break. You're listening to Animal rights on pet life radio sit stay we'll be right back after a short pause well four to be exact it's designerpetsweaters.com hand-knitted designer sweaters for your precious pup or cool cat beautiful couture patterns for your pets including custom knitted formal wear casual wear yachting and even sports themed many designer pet sweaters include feathered tammy hats top hats and a lot of sparkle each sweater includes leg loops front paw sleeves and leash opening visit designerpetsweaters.com to order your four-legged fashions today your pets will stay warm for the winter and be runway ready large or small we fit them all designerpetsweaters.com Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back. Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. And joining me now is number one New York Times bestselling author James Rollins. James, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Appreciate yeah. it. It's good to have you here. It's, it's, you've been on the show before, but it's been a little while, so it's great to catch up a little bit. And I definitely want to pick your brain about the latest book, the Seventh Plague. Tell us a little bit about it. Well, the story starts with an archaeologist that comes stumbling out of the Egyptian desert. Uh, he had vanished about two years prior. No one knew whatever what his fate was. Unfortunately, even when he reappears, he is able to tell a story because he, he dies before he can reveal where he's been. Uh, but his body always offers some tantalizing clues to, you know, to his fate. Number one, it appears he was partially mummified. Basically, it looks like somebody had forced him to undergo the gruesome process prior to, to, to while he was still alive and then also he seems to be harboring this uh, a plague organism an organism that begins to spread through cairo and beyond and my cast of sigma forest is called in to try to figure out where this archaeologist had been where this organism originated from and is there a way to stop this plague that's beginning to spread before cascades into a series of plague that are very similar to the plagues that were documented in the book of exodus with moses I have to admit, when I first looked at, you know, got, got my copy of the book, so I'm ready to sit down and read it. And I'm thinking to myself, well, you know, I don't, I don't want to disbroadcast, but it is the holidays. And here we are talking about the seventh plague, plagues during the holidays. And I'm like, what is going on here? Why is the timing of this book? Then I realized, you know, uh, we got the Moses, we got the biblical theme, everything going on there. So actually, you know, hand it to the editors and publishers. You know, they know what they're doing sometimes. They're clever that way. But also, <laughs> I, I tied the, uh, 
the type, I always like that. Like, I always think thrillers work best if they can be a little, a mirror of our times, a little reflection of what's really what's going on there. And so, so the seed for this book became, uh, you know, cause I have a background in veterinary medicine. So I'm always sort of curious about sort of these strange organisms and strange pathogens that are uh, afflicting us here. And, and, Everybody's aware of the Zika virus that is now spreading around the globe. You know, it started in a in a monkey in Uganda in Africa, and you know, since then it's spread pretty much around the globe to the point where there's cases being reported in Florida. Just last week, there's a case reported in Texas. You know, here we have this virus that no one's really been aware of before. It's causing these strange, crippling birth defects. You know, and of course, me being a thriller writer, I want to explore that a little bit. So I twisted that virus. I created a virus sort of similar to that, but that happens to just affect male children, very similar to Moses' 10th plague, which was the uh, the death of the firstborn sons. So the book serves sort of as a cautionary tale about uh, epidemics, about how nature pushes back if, if uh, confronted, and the fact that we are uniquely unprepared to face a lot of these organisms because nature is very creative. It produces things that we don't expect, and oftentimes we're literally pulling our pants down, so to speak, when it comes to dealing with these these organisms. Yeah, you know, and I find that fascinating. I mean, because obviously I'm not a, a veterinarian; I'm not in the medical profession whatsoever. I will put a, a little hyphen there, or a little <laughs> a note there that I'm not a professional in that area. And I know there's a lot of different epidemics, plagues, things that have happened over the many millennials of this world. But wouldn't you think by now we would have at least uh, a knowledge of what the potential could be, and sort of prepping ahead of time? Or do you find it more of reactionary when it happens? Then we find ourselves sort of literally with our pants down trying to figure it all out again. Well, I definitely think we are have a tendency just to react. I mean, look when it comes to the flu, the flu vaccine. We have to keep re-engineering that flu vaccine every year because we don't know how that virus is going to mutate. So we're sort of, sort of guessing what is going to change. We're putting these cocktails together because uh, we just don't know what to expect. And, you know, we think we have a lot of confidence in Western medicine when it comes to things like this, but uh, oftentimes it's, it's, uh, it's false confidence. You know, another organism that, I, that appears in my novel are these electrical bacteria. These are bacteria, and this is true. These are, not, I didn't, these are creatures of my imagination. These scientists discovered this purely by accident. They were just fooling around with electrodes and mud and shocking the mud. And lo and behold, these colonies of bacteria rose to feed on the energy that was being produced, or electricity that was being produced by these electrodes. And what they discovered is about 12 different species of bacteria that their pure energy source is electricity. They consume electron, raw electrons out of the environment, and that is their energy source. No one even guessed there were such creatures like that existed before. So, you know, nature surprises us, and we're not going to be prepared. Like in my book, I'm, I'm then wondered, you know, one of these organisms was infectious, the pathogen. What might that disease look like in us? And so, you know, nature's, gonna, nature's always going to surprise. I don't think we can anticipate what's going to happen out there. That's a good point. everything. Yeah, absolutely. Well, then tell us a little bit then about the seventh plague as far as what are some of the, without giving the whole thing away, what are some of the additional plot twists or how does the uh, Sigma Force team handle things differently or are there any new players that come about here that we need to know about? Well, there's the usual cast of characters that are here, but of course, as typical with my novel, there's, they have to recruit new people to handle these new threats. And so there's a, the archaeologist's daughter, uh, the last sort of surviving heir of this family, uh, is still around. And so they, have to, they seek her out to try to find some clue to where her father had been. They try to find you know, some of this old paperwork. Is there any clue about what had happened? But also introduce an entirely different storyline that deals with, I'm not going to say how it connects. You're going to have to read the book to find out how the connection goes. But uh, I deal with this whole story about, the, uh, about climate change in the book also. And specifically the fact that it's not, you know, not a diatribe against climate change or for climate change. Basically, it's just 
saying something's happening out there. You know, November was the hottest November on record. The ice caps are melting. Uh, there's cruise ships right now that are beginning to book seats or cabins for trips along the Northwest Passage across the top of Canada, a route that used to be too frozen to even consider, too dangerous. Explorers died trying to make that, uh, make that trek. Yet now, you know, there'll be uh, a Norwegian cruise line going along the Northwest Passage. So the world's changing, and how we deal with it is what I somewhat address in this book. And a, a new character is introduced, a sort of a tech billionaire who uh, is in the in the vein of uh, Richard Branson or Elon Musk. He's basically trying to see if there's a way he can engineer a way out of this crisis that's coming. And unfortunately, when it comes to dealing with so many variables in the climate, especially when the global engineering process that he's envisioning, there's too many variables to take into account. Things begin to go awry, and that it becomes another element to the story. How that so, connects to biblical plague, I'm not going to tell you. That's right. You got to got to pick up a copy. Everybody, pick up a copy and find out for yourselves. So then, let me ask you this: You mentioned that you're fascinated with the scientific uh, aspects of it, your veterinary medicine background, all the craziness going in the world. And of course, I'm assuming you're writing the next book now or have it already prepped and ready to go. How do you intertwine all that? Because the latest madness of the world, we'll just put it that way, changes so frequently. How do you determine ahead of time, okay, this is what what we're going to put in there and how we're going to write it out? Well, you know, I've always got my antenna up for that, that next idea, either that historical mystery, that piece of history that maybe ends in a question mark or that science that could go what up and where that's going to be headed and, and try to find some way of, you know, connecting the past to the present through a roller coaster ride. And so I also like the fact that, you know, when it comes to this is the 12th book in the series and I think only a very small fraction of my readership has actually read my books in order. I sort of uh, tailor my series so you can jump in at any point and pretty much don't feel lost at the same time. If you do read them in order or some semblance of order, you'll get some nuance of character that progresses. So at the end of this book, you know, I always sort of have a tendency to leave something a little bit hanging. The story's resolved, but there's a, some thread that's left, on, that's still frayed there. And so there's a big shock to the ending of this book. And the repercussions of that of that ending and that choice that a character makes in this book is pivotal to this next book I'm writing. Very good. Very good. Because I like the way you put that, and I like how you put your books together. Because you're right. I mean, if you've been a fan for a long time, you start from the beginning, you definitely follow along and get to know the characters and get to know the, the storyline. But they are standalone. So if I'm new to James Rollins' books, you know, in the Sigma Force series, which I'd had to be hiding under a rock if I was. But in any case, if I'm new to this, I could jump in with the Seventh Plague, read that, and still not really miss out or, or be confused about if I step back to some of your other books. Exactly. You know, I just got a, a review that stated this as specific. It was a new reviewer. He never read any of my books before. He was reading the Seventh Plague for the first time. And he was a little leery about whether or not he was going to be able to sort of follow along with a, a, a series that's been, you know, 12 books in length at that point. And he was thinking, you know, I just, I didn't, I, if you told me this was the first book in the series, I would not be surprised this was the first book in the series because it, it uh, hopefully feels self-contained. And I think it's fascinating. How do you, let me ask you on that trait with, from an author standpoint, obviously you're uh, wanting to put together a series that your fans can follow along and still feel that the next one's even better than the one before, but you're trying to attract new ones. How do you keep that balance together? And then how do you feel as an author after doing this for so long? of getting that type of review. It's like, you know, someone brand new coming in, getting to know what I do. Well, what my goal is when I start a book is, you know, I need to establish a connection between the reader and those characters. Because I might build the best roller coaster ride of, of all time in a book, this plot that's twisty and turning with great drops and great, you know, sudden accelerations. But if you're not invested in that character, it's going to feel leaden. 
if I dangle a character over a cliff and you're not attached to that character, you might be like, I'm sort of concerned whether he falls or not. But if I've done my, my job properly and I've emotionally tied you to that character, then you're going to care whether they drop or, or not. So even every time I start a novel, I, I, I'm very conscious that I've got to attach that new reader to the set of characters. So, uh, you know, I try to find different ways to, to really quickly establish that relationship between the reader and that, and the new reader and that character has been around for a while. So once, you know, once that's established, then the roller coaster ride is going to work for them too. Whereas if somebody has read my books in order, I mentioned before that nuance of character, whatever I'm going to be bringing to the table now to introduce that new reader is going to actually even compound that for the old reader. So whatever I'm adding to maybe hook that new reader to that character is actually going to hopefully you know, reestablish that relationship or reinforce that relationship with that old reader. So it actually builds, uh, has a bigger effect for that, that older reader. Very good. Nicely done. Yeah, yeah. Perfect sense, perfect sense. Almost like you thought it out once before, right? (laughs) (laughs) Or 33 times. There you go, there you go. All right, we're going to take a quick commercial break, um, then we'll come back with uh, James Rollins, talk to him a little bit more about the latest book, The Seventh Plague, a Sigma Force novel, and also talk to him about his uh, writing styles and what he hoped to accomplish with this book. So everybody just hang tight. You're listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. Don't do what I did and run out. If it's working, don't quit. Why would you stop? Why undo all the good that's been accomplished? You've got to feed them right for life. Dynavite is nutrition. If I ever took Roy off of Dynavite... No, 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 no. When I get to about three quarters... When I get down to the bottom of my box of Dynavite... Oh, no. I've got a couple more scoops. It's time to place my order. Dynavite.com. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E.com. 859-428-1000. Order a 90-day supply of Dynavite for your dog this week. We'll send you a bottle of Lico Chops free. New, improved Lico Chops with Omega-6, Omega-3... Vitamin E. And now six extra direct-fed microbials. Even better for the digestive tract and immune system. Try Chops Free this week at Dynavite.com. Just feed your dog right. Use Dynavite. Dynavite for life. 859-428-1000. 859-428-1000. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Hi, this is Tim Link, animal communicator and pet expert and host of Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Have you ever wanted to know what your pet is really thinking? Do you want to find out if they truly understand what you're trying to tell them? Ever wish you could build a better understanding and closer relationship with your pet? Well, now you can. Learning to communicate with animals is a four-part on-demand workshop. In the workshop, you'll learn the essential techniques that are necessary to communicate with animals, including what is animal communication, breathing correctly to achieve the perfect state to communicate with your animals at a deeper level, using guided meditation exercises and method to communicate with animals, and how to send and receive information from your animals. So if you're wanting to learn how to communicate and connect with your animals at a deeper level, visit PetLifeRadio.com forward slash workshop and purchase and download Learning to Communicate with Animals. You'll be glad you did. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back. Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. And continue our conversation with uh, the number one New York Times bestselling author, James Rollins, and the latest book, The Seventh Plague. 
Now, James, when put together this book, were there certain goals that you had, things you wanted to accomplish, or things that you hoped that the reader would walk away with after reading it? Oh, I do, definitely. Uh, I mean, I, I think books work best that if once a reader turns that last page and closes the cover of the book, that hopefully, you know, I've left you with something to think about. I don't want to go in great detail what I want to leave with this, because that's going to ruin too many plot points. But basically, at the end of all my books, I have a what's true and what's not section that concludes the book. So that, you know, whatever, because a lot of times people are surprised how much truth is buried in this fiction. Uh, and so at the end of the book, I strip away that fiction so you can see actually how much is true, uh, which oftentimes is quite surprising. But also at least the breadcrumbs. So if there's any topics, whether it's about climate change, whether it's about the historical characters I raise in the book, whether it's about the electrical bacteria or about uh, the truth behind uh, the book of Exodus, you know, I'm going to give you some breadcrumbs to follow. So that if you have any interest in those subject matters, you can continue that investigation on your own. There you go. So then when we talk about putting together uh, the book and giving some insight, educating people, allowing them to do the research afterwards, let's talk about your research. When you find some uh, a particular topic that you want to enter or multiple topics in this case that you want to intertwine into the book, what type of research do you go through? Is it a lot of uh, online research? Do you go to certain sources? And, and how much of that research is uh, is in a bulk of your time that you're, you're doing that research compared to actually putting together the, the book? Well, I was in, in 1998, and so there really wasn't the online resource, but I always don't trust online uh, sources necessarily because there's a lot of misinformation online, and so right. that can be a dangerous. I have a tendency to call people and talk to them. I like to get it from the horse's mouth. I've found many times over the years that's where I get the most valuable, not only the information I need for a certain detail of a story, but oftentimes I'll find an entirely different story from that person. I was looking for writing an entirely different story set in Egypt. Uh, and so I was, uh, I have, was kind enough to have an, an Egyptologist respond to one of my emails, a gentleman named David Roll, who basically has a sort of alternate timeline for Egyptian history, that uh, if you view the Old Testament through this different timeline, you can find sort of uh, support or proof that the events in the books of Exodus probably did happen. There's a historical basis for it. It wasn't just all myth and legend. And likewise, there's probably a scientific and rational explanation for the seven plagues. So once I start hearing this from him, because that's not what I was pursuing, I mean, I was jotting down notes as fast as I could. And uh, that became the basis of the story. So oftentimes my research thinks it's going one direction. And because I'm, I'm getting something you know direct from the source versus just from Wikipedia, I'll find an entirely new exciting way to, to tell the story. Very fascinating. So when you're gathering that, walk me through that overall process just uh, roughly here in, in a uh, an overview. You come up with the idea of the book. You know you, you've left a little teaser behind. You know you've got the Sigma Force team, but now you're collecting all this research that could change everything. Is there a process in your writing that you say, okay, I'm going to do the framework of this, the, the general gist of the story, then I'm going to get the rest of the research and move on from there and make alterations as I need to? Or how does that flow work? Because it seems like you know, if you get all this great research and it's a new angle that you never thought of, it could really um, basically <laughs> wad up your past work and throw it in the the garbage because you've got some new uh, new can. material here. And that's happened before. I mean, I, my very first uh, Sigma book, Map of Bones, I had pitched an entirely different plot to my my editor, and they were happy enough with the storyline. I wrote a detailed twenty four page single space outline of the entire story. But then once I started the research, I found an entirely new tack on the story, and I wrote an entirely different book, turned in by editor, and she goes, well, this is nothing like the outline that you turned in. <laughs> I said, well, are you happy with it? Yeah, it's great. It's even better than it's up. So it's, I still enjoy that process. 
my typical, just so the routine is usually, I've always, I'm always collecting these ideas, bits of history, bits of science. I'm always trying to find ways of connecting various sort of what might sound disparate uh, pieces and try to find ways to couple them. It's like almost like a jigsaw puzzle, trying to find these pieces that are going to fit together. And once I sort of see a vague outline, then I'll start doing research. And I'll spend about 90 days researching a novel, checking more about the history, more about science, more about locations. I'll build a sort of a, these little journals for each of those topics. And I allow myself only 90 days of research, though. On the 91st day, I have to start writing. Otherwise, if I just keep researching, keep researching, I think I'm working, but by that point, I'm pretty much just playing. So I commit to myself to do 90 days of research, to get the, the big, big bones of the story down at least researched at that point, then begin writing the novel. Not that even the course of writing the novel, every other page requires me to either make a call, hop online, and try to get some details, some further details. But uh, the big bulk of the, the, the front loading of my research is that is that 90-day intensive research into the history, the science, and the locations. Wow, very fascinating. So very structured, very, uh, and I like how you do that. I mean, I really do, because like I was sort of alluding to there, you're gathering more and more research at a point you could be spending years researching something without actually uh, getting the, everything put together. So 90 days is a nice, I think, a nice uh, threshold. Yeah, I nice found that, that, works, that works for me, and different authors have different, different processes, but I found that works for me to do the you know, have that limitation so that I do it because I start to write. But also I found that, you know, I, I may appear like I know all about the Zika virus or all about some subject matter, because I think if you get enough telling details correct in the story, the reader will fill in the blanks. They will assume more authority than necessarily I even have on the subject matter. You know, just for example, um, my third book, Deep Fathom, I, I had written about a, a Navy SEAL. And I interviewed Navy SEALs. I went down to San Diego and went to where they trained Navy SEALs, wrote this book, was being interviewed on air. And uh, the, the gentleman that was interviewing me, which is a rarity, actually, had actually read my book and was ra- asking me things directly from the book. And I'm answering them. And then he goes, oh, so tell me more about your career as a Navy SEAL. <laughs> like, what do you mean? So you're not a Navy SEAL? No, I'm not a Navy SEAL. I'm a veterinarian. But <laughs> if, you know, if you get enough of those telling details, people will believe Almost anything. <laughs> it's, pretty, it's, a, it's a strange process of fiction writing that if you just get a few details correct, the, the reader will fill in the blanks for you. Wow, that's fascinating. Well, and hopefully TMZ doesn't get a hold of that and uh, claim that you are a Navy SEAL, and that's just a whole new ball game at that point. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, now looking back on your your career as a you know an author and writer, compare how you do your structure today. You know how you do uh, sit down and, and put everything together compared to when this all first started. Is there a lot of difference? Do you find yourself more structured now, or have you always been very outlined and detail oriented when it comes to writing? I think actually I was probably more organized in the past. Back when I had my own veterinary hospital, you know, which was a twenty four seven type of job. And so when I first started writing, I had had cracks in time in which to get a story done. And so I made a commitment to myself to write three double-spaced pages a day, so basically about a page and a half a day, in a, only five out of seven days of the week. But I had to make sort of that structure around my professional life of veterinarian. Now that I sort of reversed roles, now I write full-time, and writing is my paycheck, and veterinary medicine is my hobby, it's much easier to 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 let that to waver a little bit, to procrastinate a little bit. I always thought, you know, when I back when I was working full time at writing, that if I ever shed the day job, I'd be much more productive than my three pages. And I am. I write five pages a day, five double six pages, <laughs> and that's my limit. I just that's what I found out. I didn't realize that until I just had the freedom to actually write more than three 
pages a day, that it takes about an hour to write a page. And so five pages, new pages for me, is about five hours of, of new writing. And I hit a wall. That's pretty much where I, I know my batteries have run, run low and it's time for me to you know, go out and do a little bit of research, go you know, run the dogs, go kayaking, and then recharge those batteries before I'm ready for the next set of five pages the next day. Very, very cool. Very interesting. Because, yeah, I could assume that you know, with all this free time, you could just write you know, for, for hours on end. But you're right. You hit a wall after a while, you know, both physically and mentally, I'm assuming you hit that wall. Exactly. And so, you know, that's, that's what I found works best for me. So, uh, but each author is different. I've got other authors that, you know, they, they can write around the clock and they'll, they'll uh, sort of they'll write an entire novel in a month. They'll do the whole thinking beforehand, whereas I'm, I'm more methodical. I'm, you know, chugging away five pages a day, five pages a day, and, you know, then my novel's done. That's right. And, and more time to go kayaking and playing with the dogs and all the other wonderful stuff. So Yeah, the dogs are the dogs are the limiting factor on much of my writing day because uh, <laughs> they, they get as impatient with me as I am at that point. <laughs> you know, and for us, obviously, everybody listens to this show are, are dog lovers, animal lovers in general. But I agree with you wholeheartedly because, you know, I'm, I'm home-based as well, uh, whether I'm, I'm writing or doing my uh, work as communicator, et cetera, with animals. But I always laugh because my wife tells the story of a colleague of hers. She's a writer, but from a, a business standpoint, business analyst. And she talks about the story of a, a colleague of hers who works from home that has children. And so she's placed a clock outside of her office. And the kids have learned that until that clock hits 530, nobody's to enter mama's office, which I think was pretty cool. But do you think there will ever be a time when you could get the dogs to look at that clock and agree not to enter your office at, at 530, we'll say? <laughs> Not my dog. No, no, I don't think it is. The, the old uh, adage about the preacher's daughter is usually the most well behaved. You know, the veterinarian's dogs are usually the, the worst, the worst trained. <laughs> my, dogs are, my dogs rule. They, they rule the roost. They know it. They know it. They know it. I, I think that's the way it is with every dog in some fashion or another. They'll find a way to uh, to definitely get your attention. And, and it's a good thing, too, because you do need to get up and get out and about and stretch. You can't sit there at a computer. Exactly. Or, There's my equivalent of the, the furry version of a Fitbit. You know, just <laughs> nudging me. You know, get out there and move. You've been sitting in that chair way too long. That's right. That's right. They know those things. Great. All right, James. Well, hey, wonderful. Congratulations again on the book, The Seventh Plague. A Sigma Force novel. Everybody go out and pick up a copy of this. I know it's available at every brick-and-mortar store online, your favorite independent stores. Everybody, there's no excuse not to get this. Where can people uh, keep track of what you're doing and where they can meet up with you and maybe shake your hand and get an autographed copy? Well, the best place to get all my – so you know, where I'm at is my website, jamesrollins.com, or also I'm on Facebook. I'll be on tour for this next eight days in various cities from – in Phoenix today. I'll be in Houston tomorrow, then St. Louis, then Colorado, then San Diego, then Las Vegas. So you can find more details online. Either on Facebook or jamesrollins.com. Very good. So we'll make sure we have all that posted so everybody can get out to all your uh, your signs, get a chance to meet up with you, and get a copy of the book as well. And uh, James, once again, congratulations on the, another great success with this uh, book, The Seventh Plague. And uh, we'll look forward to chatting with you again real soon when the next one comes about. All right. Thanks, Tim. It's been a pleasure. All right. My pleasure. All right. Well, we're coming to the end of the show today. I want to thank everyone for listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. I want to send a special thank you out to uh, producers and sponsors for making this show possible. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, or ideas, or people you want to hear on the show, please drop me an email. You can email me at tim 
at PetLifeRadio.com. It's Tim at PetLifeRadio.com. And I'll be glad to answer your questions, entertain your comments, and bring on the people you want to hear from most. So until next time, write a great story about the animals in your life. Write it in a blog, an article, or in a book. And who knows, you may be the next guest on Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Have a great day. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.